Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Recipe for Success. I am over the moon to introduce my guest today, who also is a very good friend of mine, Callie Ortega. So my first question before I go any further is, how did it? How how did you like seeing your logo up there in that little intro? I mean, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me smile. And I love sacred geometry. You know that. So I know. Kidding to see it. So for anybody that is new to the podcast, um, my name is Nancy Giacalone. And the reason that I created Recipe for Success and named it this is simply because um, I love to cook and bake. And one of the things that I found was that when I was in the kitchen, there was always one key ingredient or technique that was absolutely critical to the outcome of um, the recipe. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that was really true in many areas of life. So Recipe for Success really focuses on women doing great things in whatever area that may be. And there are a few people that are doing as many great things as my friend Callie. So I would love for her to introduce herself and to tell you all a little bit about her career history and where she's at right now. Great. Thank you, Nancy. I'm so excited to be here. Well, excited to have you. Yeah. So a little bit about me. My career had started at my family's manufacturing business. So as I was wrapping up college, I was also full-time at the business, had a lot of different responsibilities. And among them were handling all of the buying for our insurance programs. So I handled the property casualty as well as the employee benefits. And then I was in the uh, quality control area, all sorts of things with operations. And I did that for about 10 years. And I'd say the key takeaways from that experience was I learned that I absolutely love operational efficiencies and continuous improvement efforts. I learned firsthand just about everything under the sun that you can know about HR. That was pretty exciting to me at the time. And then I learned from my insurance agent at the time, he and I had developed a really strong professional relationship and became friends. And he would regularly tell me that I was one of his toughest buyers because I would always, <laughs> I'd always ask questions sometimes with or without a filter. And it really came down to the fact that if I didn't understand something, I'm going to ask questions about it. It's important that I understand anything that I'm in the process of. And then we can all make mistakes from time to time. So if there were ever any mistakes, errors, what have you, I would call that out and I'd want it fixed. And they were always ready to help make good on any commitments, any of that. So both he and his team were people that I highly respected. They, I still view them in many regards as being the best of the best as far as putting that client first. And so after about 10 years with the family business, I transitioned over from being the client on the insurance buying side to the advisor. So I went and worked for my uh, insurance agent. So he owned the agency. So worked for him and had been tasked with helping to build out the employee benefits division. And I also built out an HR consulting division because in keeping with that information that I had really gained and just 
overall knowledge from my former life, at all times, I would put my client hat back on and think, you know, hey, if I was still on the other side of the table here, would this program or would this solution be good enough for me? You know, I'm I'm picky. Yeah, no, I I love that attitude. And I honestly, well, I have to, before we go on, Jen Walsh, uh, filters are overrated, which uh, (laughs) we all would agree with that. But I I think... um, I think having been on that side of it, you, it helps so much. And I, I also have, because when I started, I started kind of, I guess you would call it account manager side. And so I always yeah. think about that as well. I think about, okay, let's make sure we're doing the right thing for everybody. And then also, are we communicating in a way that the, our, our client, our customer can understand? Because we get a little too caught up in our insurance lingo and forget about the layperson is lost and then sometimes embarrassed ask for clarification and we leave them in the dark. Right. Yeah. It's amazing because you can go into a situation with every intention of speaking regular people speak right mm-hmm. now. Our industry filled with acronyms and many of which are now duplicated. So that yeah. always helps with clarification. But before you know it, you are speaking insurance jargon and nobody is going to really understand that for the most part, especially when people in our own industry don't necessarily understand all of it. So, you know, being mindful and taking a step back to always be in tune with that audience. And again, I find it helpful to try to view things from their perspective and not where you're talking at somebody, but really empathize with and understand where they're at. I think that's what makes you so good at what you do, clearly. I mean, that's a, that's a huge gift. What was it like um, transitioning from working in your family business to outside of your family business? That's a pretty big leap. Yeah, it was a huge leap. Um, it was exciting and scary all at the same time. I was a new mother at the time. So, you know, you've got all the emotional stuff that goes along with that and learning more in depth a lot about the health insurance specifically, that side of things. And I just really put my head down, learned as much as I could. And similar to what I had done at our family's company, I wanted to learn how to do the doing of all the different roles before I would be overseeing or managing or taking over any of those responsibilities. And I know there's many of schools of thought on that particular topic, but for me personally, I like to actually know what it takes to do the job because then for me, I'm able to oversee that process and improve upon it and build new solutions, new processes. And yeah, that's just been my methodology and process for that. So I've done the account management. I did the the clerical side of things for a mm-hmm. while to understand building a census and took that from a really manual effort. Keep in mind this is going back 16 years. So, so we didn't have I a started lot of- I started with typewriters, so I go back further than that. Yeah. So really just adding efficiencies to a lot of those processes. Everybody was doing the best that they could with the tools they had and mm-hmm. their knowledge base and such. But coming from a lean manufacturing and Six Sigma type background, I really can't help myself but improve a process when I see opportunity for improvement. You know, so always looking at what the current state is and can this be improved upon and then work together and do so. 
you know, I know that, like you said, there's many schools of thought on that, but I, I happen to also be firmly in your camp on that one, because I think if you understand the process from A to Z, mm -hmm. and, and in particular in a selling or a consulting role, you're not likely to oversell or overpromise things that can't be done. And I think it makes the whole process, including anybody supporting your team, more well, we're supportive of what you're trying to do because they know you understand it. And the client also, I think, feels that as well. So mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I think it's really important because, and like you say, then you have the opportunity to identify, okay, we can improve efficiencies here. We can do this better here. And if you ever quit tweaking the process, you're just going to be left behind. Right. And I think embracing the fact that things can always be improved upon doesn't mean scrap what's already working and start fresh just for the sake of starting fresh, but things should be always evolving and improving. I think that's one of the beauties of any process, any organization. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So um, I mentioned at the top of the broadcast that Callie is a very good friend of mine. And um, I was recently in Boston, actually, and with another good friend of both of ours, Allison DePauli, and somebody said, how did you become friends with somebody that lives in San Antonio? You live in Gig Harbor, right? I'm like, yeah, I live in Gig Harbor. Well, I said, as it turns out, a lot of my friends now really live across the country. And we have this really awesome, as we call it, a little squad of women that support each other and build. Yes, I have mine on this morning, too. So um, it, we really build each other up. But it's interesting because the re, the really the main reason that we Callie and I were introduced to each other was a well we're in the same industry which is obvious mm -hmm. we were both um, Health Rosetta advisors we had a mutual friend um, Megan Rance who facilitated a conference during the pandemic in Montana wow. <laughs> um, at another friend's home Lori Furon so that we could attend and do something together while everybody had been so separate. And it really formed this unique bond. And I, there's so many, there's so much difficulty and struggles that have come out of the pandemic, but there's also good. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the good that has come out has been making these absolutely, meeting these absolutely amazing women and forming this bond of friendship. I didn't have it locally. I just always kind of felt like a little bit of an odd duck and I found my people. They just weren't local. Mm -hmm. Um and so it's just been an absolutely beautiful thing to connect with these people. But my question to you, after I blabbed for five minutes there, um, is what's the best thing for you that's come out of the pandemic? Because it does give you an opportunity to pause and take a look at your life. A lot. Um, so it was a really tough time for, I mean, the world, obviously, but during the pandemic, I had, as you know, made the mm -hmm. incredibly hard decision to resign from my position because I reached a level of complete and utter burnout. There were just a lot of moving parts in my life at the time, and I needed to step away and really have a thorough reset. And so with the pandemic, I tried to take as many of the struggles as I could and convert them into some kind of positive or a lesson or something like that. But I went into it knowing full well that I wanted to take some time and really identify what my own personal values are and who I am 
just for the sake of, of me, not in relation to somebody else. Right. right. So not somebody's wife or the mother or an executive or an advisor, whatever that might be. I wanted to kind of check that at the door and do some real introspection and also had made an active decision to be significantly more present, not just in the same space as, but actually engaged and present with my son. And so he has homeschooling as did many people throughout the pandemic. So really just our, our bond became even stronger than it had been. We're incredibly close and he helped a lot of the work that I was doing on identifying values. He thought that was kind of cool. And so we're starting to do that together and really just making sure that I'm mindful to stay true to those values and only endeavor into future initiatives, programs, what have you, if and only if it's truly in alignment with my heart and with those values. So I would say that's a, a key piece of what I was doing during the pandemic um, and traveled a lot. So being in nature and visiting with, you know, you guys are our squad, um, that helped tremendously. And then alongside that, I started volunteering because I knew that part of the process of what I was going through was to start making a real effort in giving back to communities. So you know, kind of all that together was, I'd say the positives that came directly as a result from the pandemic. I mean, we all know there were plenty of negatives, but I think that there's always positive out of difficult times. And, and, you know, it's, it's important to look at that and recognize that too. And so I think that what the work you're doing is beautiful. Are you comfortable sharing any of the values you've identified that are key to you? I would say um, I still have a kind of a hard time articulating properly what the, the actual value is, but I know without question that I have a calling to help people and help them in such a way that's not handouts or a, a quick conversation. I want to actually help them and empower them to be able to take care of themselves. So kind of, you know, you articulated that beautifully. You <laughs> You have service to help empower people. I mean, it's, 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 that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, that's actually one of the things I love about you so much is you are such a caring, kind person and you're always rooting for the underdog. You're always looking for ways to support and lift others up. And I know that that translates into some of the volunteer work that you do. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's kind of, a few moving parts to that. One of my drives to help people and, and lift them up is I have a real intolerance for abuses of power. And, and I'm an incredibly tolerant person, in my opinion, anyway. But when it has to do with abusing power, no, no fly zone for me. And so I really am enjoying the work that I'm doing. The organization Wings, which is a domestic violence survivor program, so I'm a volunteer there and they asked me to be part of their mentorship program. And so I have weekly calls with my mentees and it's honestly one of my favorite times during each week. And after each of the, the calls, 
I learned something else about their struggles, about their life, and want to help introduce them to or make them aware of different tools and resources that are out there. And it might be anything from having no idea about direct primary care or telehealth or some of those resources. You know, you hear people taking their public transportation to the ER, sitting there for hours on end, still not being seen. That kind of stuff really frustrates me and it simply doesn't need to be. So how do we best get those resources in people's hands? And so then one day when I had just ended one of my mentee calls, I was actually on the phone with uh, Lester Morales and explaining some of the opportunities that I can see where we all collectively as an industry can help the community members. So sure, we're all very adept at working through the employer channels and that's incredibly important, but human interaction is a really important piece too. And so we just started talking about different programs that could exist, can be improved upon, maybe we'll build together. And he mentioned a gentleman named Greg, who's Mike Singletary's partner, put us in contact because he knew that Mike wanted to start doing some work, helping underserved, under-resourced communities throughout Chicago. And so that just casual conversation and introduction led to us talking, I mean, we're talking all the time. And we have some pilot programs that we're looking to start rolling out that combine a lot with mental health and overall health and health care as we all know it, um, some education programs. So, so for anyone that doesn't know, Mike Singletary was on the Super Bowl um, team of the Chicago Bears. So um, he... What a great person. He doesn't live in Chicago, but he remains committed to the to um, supporting that community and uplifting. He's still a prominent um, factor in that area. And the fact that you're working with him is amazing. Um, I promised myself I would not talk insurance lingo, but I am going to make one comment um, because I think a lot of people don't understand really how much social determinants of health really impact the cost of healthcare, the access to healthcare. And when I say that, that means where you live, your ethnicity, your income level, it really and truly impacts how you receive, utilize and understand healthcare. And the more we can bring it to everyone and make it more accessible, the better we're gonna be as humans, as a country, as employers, we'll start to take control of our healthcare system again. Absolutely. And whatever those barriers are to access, we can just list them out and start tackling them one by one. Yeah. People that are passionate about doing good and things are going to happen. So one other thing I want to go back to is um, I noticed that a couple of the programs that you're committed to support women Mm -hmm. um, and which is great for this show. But what was it like for you being a female? I know that manufacturing industry, I'm going to assume that it was probably male dominated Mm -hmm. and um, getting into insurance, also male dominated. What's been like for you as a, as a female? Honestly, I don't know that I'm the best gauge. It's okay. I just want to know what it was like for you. Yeah. Um, Because I don't really feel threatened by, by men. And that seems to be where most of those conversations end up going that, 
people feel insecure because of that gender difference. Um, for me, I think because my dad raised me to never really view that as a barrier or as an obstacle, that it wasn't all that challenging insofar as putting on self-limiting beliefs. I guess that's what it comes down to. Yep. Plenty of insecurities, plenty of self-doubt, but it was never a gender-based matter. All of that said, without a doubt, there's a lot of issue with sexism, gender discrimination, like all of that exists. And I see that. I just never personally felt threatened by it, but I put it in my category of abuse of power and that which is simply not acceptable, shouldn't be tolerated. And anybody who does abuse that power or continues to support any of these falsehoods, it needs to be called out respectfully in an ideal situation, but called out <laughs> as and that needs to go away. Yeah. And if it doesn't go away, then you, the aggressor, needs to go away. So yeah. that's, I would say, more from the observer perspective and any time that I knew I was, um, I don't want to say victim of, but experiencing some of the, you know, different traditional matters, um, I, I am a vocal person and perfectly That's comfortable to, to speak up. So, and on my, from my perspective, I also came up all male mm -hmm. industries, automotive and insurance. And I was similar. Like I didn't bother me that I was a female. I didn't bother being in a challenge. Didn't bother me being in a challenging situation. But what I did find, and I still find to some respect, is that sometimes opinions are not valued at the same level, and there's a level of dismissal that I find completely unacceptable. And again, same as I have no problem telling people what I think. Some probably people probably wish I wouldn't say what I think, but um, I will address that when the when the time is right. So just oh, curious yeah. as to how what that had what that had felt like for you. So the, uh, the dismissal, I would say, is a pretty consistent piece, or the um, everything short of a head pat, like oh that's so cute, mm -hmm. um, you know <laughs> those kind of kind of things you see in in different industries, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to healthcare for a minute and let's talk about employers because you have done some really great things, not only working on things now, but in your past, um, in your history, you've done some really good things for employers, for fire protection districts. Mm -hmm. And so what would you say that is the one thing employers, regardless of their size, could do to improve their, their overall plan, the efficiency of it, the outcomes, what's the, what are one or two tips that you could share? Honestly, I would suggest just taking a minute and taking pause and stepping back from whatever your current health plan is, because right now, most employers or most people view their health care or their health plan as being whatever the insurance, the plan that they have through an insurance company what they're determining health care or what their health plan should be. So if you kind of put that aside, put a pin in it for a minute and think about health care in and of itself and in a perfect world, what does that look like for you? So as an individual, what does access to health care look like for you? What's good enough for your own health care? And that's that experience with the providers. 
what's good enough for your family, what's good enough for you as a woman. So all of those individual components, there's no reason why the employer can't be looking at it through that lens as well. So you've got the human elements, so they themselves as the consumer, and then certainly you've got that business element. And so rather than trying to make some of the pre-prescribed plans or the off-the-shelf kind of stuff, rather than making that work because you don't know of any other way, let's think about what ideal looks like to you. And then if it doesn't exist in the current state, then let's build it together. I love that. Um, I recently heard a um, talk that I thought was very interesting and a, di a different approach. And we always hear about, you know, surveying employees to find out mm -hmm. what they want. But quite frankly, a lot of them don't know what they want because they yeah. don't understand it well enough. Mm -hmm. But it was about not just surveying, but holding like focus groups and saying, well, what if you could have this without being important to you? And really letting them know that there's different ways to do things because the majority of people are very uninformed about healthcare in general. Not even we're not even talking insurance, just healthcare in general that are very in, uninformed about. So, and I'm I think those type of surveys because if people don't have thoughts on it in their mind about right. healthcare specifically, certainly the young invincibles, they might not have had any access right. to the healthcare system. To be honest, um, parents tend to be pretty adept at it at some point and. Uh, oftentimes vocal. So I love hearing feedback from some of them. But if you start polling individuals and employees with lists of things, hey, would you like this? Hey, would you like that? Going back to my manufacturing days, you can create a poll system. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Right. So they're aware that certain things exist. It may or may not be in their current benefit program. If it is, is it good enough? Do you see right. ways that can improve? If it's completely void, then let's either find the solution that can fill that void, or if it doesn't exist in a way that we want it, then let's let's build it. And and you and I have talked about the mental health piece of that yep. quite a bit. You yep. know, you've got the um, benefits in our traditional mental health plan, and oftentimes people are referring to it as helping somebody with mental illness. Yeah, well, nothing to do with that. No, your mental well-being, your mental health is part of you as a whole person. And so um, I do want to just mention this one, uh, this other organization that I met recently, and that was also tied to some of my passions with volunteering and mental health in general. And uh, the company is called Viamaticus. They have a, a program called Vicare. And what really drew me to want to learn more about them is I, I liken their program to direct primary care, but for mental health. So it's taking an affordable price point that somebody can pay on a right. basis. And if they want to see a therapist on a weekly basis, excellent, once a month, what have you. So you don't have to worry about what your health plan will or won't cover in this traditional world that we have now, because oftentimes it is cost prohibitive or people are viewing therapists as somebody they want to talk to if there's a crisis situation. I would love to see everybody have a therapist and somebody they can talk to on a consistent basis, just like your primary care doctor, right? right. For a preventive visit, 
why not have somebody that you can talk to consistently and they'll see you during your strong periods and when you're feeling confident and when you're happy and then they'll see you when you have your lows and when they understand you as a complete and whole being I think that treatment and that process is all the better. I love that. And I I really hope that everyone takes a little bit out of that as well is that Mm -hmm. healthcare doesn't mean health insurance. Right. So we have to start separating the true, the two insurance Mm -hmm. is an important component, but healthcare is something different. Um, And I I love that. And and you know how I feel about the topic of mental health. I feel very passionately about it, that we need to destigmatize it. We need to normalize it. It needs to be a, you know, integrated part of, our whole um, well-being. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's flip that. So we talked about it from the employer side. What if I'm an individual? My employer has a traditional plan. There's nothing cool or fancy about it, but I want to be more active. What would you say I could do? Similar to what we just talked about with employer plans, to be honest, um, just stepping back and intentionally starting to ask questions. So if you have a claim, that's already happened, look at the bill, ask for an itemized bill and just take a look because most people aren't even aware of some of that detail and that alone can be eye-opening. Another is prior to services being rendered, find out how much that's going to cost, what's going into it, ask questions like we would when we, you know, start price shopping a vehicle or going to the grocery store. You're not going to load up your cart full of groceries, pack it all up in your car and say, go ahead. I trust you. Just fill me later and we'll, we'll figure it out. That's bananas, right? We, we, we would never do that. And so with our healthcare, take that same consumerism approach and just start to understand it. And what that means for each person is going to be different. But again, there's so many tools and resources out there simply pricing out your prescription drugs. If that's not made perfectly clear to you through your health plan, a lot of health plans out there are doing a great job educating and bringing proper solutions to employees and to individuals through individual plans, but there's still a ton that are not. So simply knowing that there is a better way and however we can get the word out on that more and more, just knowing that there's a better way potentially to do that and there's ways to save money get that in people's hands. And I I think the process will just naturally evolve from there. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, I'm the person that stands at the target counter when I'm picking up my, my prescription says, hang on a second, let me check this app and see if I can get it cheaper. If I, if I do with cash pay. And I mean, sometimes the the differences are are significant, but I think the other thing that I that's going to be important as we continue to move forward on the spectrum of, you know, changing healthcare is we have to let go of some of the ways that we've done things in the past. And we have to be open to new ideas and new new possibilities mm-hmm. because it may not happen for you today or it may not be available for you today. But if you knew that a doctor with a much higher quality score could provide the service to you at a much lower cost, but he wasn't currently your doctor, mm-hmm. would you change? It's going to cost you less out of pocket you're going to have less likelihood of uh, complications, better potential outcomes, but so many people still won't change because this is how we've always done it. 
So yeah. it's going, it's going to take us all hands on board to make these changes. It's going to be employers. It's going to be employees. It's going to be family members. It's going to be people like us, you know, finding new solutions. So everybody, every single person can play a part. And I think all of that is okay because there's plenty of people that aren't just going to switch their doctors. Right. They might right. hear the whole potential and possibility and that's why I think having choice is so important. And I prefer the approach of having choices, not so many where it becomes confusing, but if people want to stay with their current provider team, have at it. The price points might be different than some right. of these other solutions that have proven outcomes um, and, and higher quality and such, but give them the choice. And over time, inevitably, through word of mouth and hearing the successes from some of their coworkers or you know colleagues, they might migrate and, and most likely will from what we see with plans that have been in place for years and years now. Eventually, you do start to see people migrate over. Um, I think, at least in my opinion, I think it's important not to tell people what to do, but show them what's possible. Yes. And then they can make the choice for themselves. Mm -hmm. So... Okay, so we're going to um, stop talking about insurance for a minute. Well, at least kind of stop talking about it. We're going to talk about bread. We're going to talk about sourdough bread in particular. So Callie knew that I was loved making bread. And, and so I said, hey, I'll send you some starter. Shipped it across the country to Chicago. And she has been on the journey of learning how to make sourdough bread, which is not as straightforward as making most other bread, is it? No. No. How'd your how'd your first loaf turn out? Weird. Um, it was it was flat, um, edible. You know, yeah. my son thought it was still lovely because he loves the smell of bread, and who doesn't love you know warm crusty bread? But it looked nothing, certainly nothing like yours, and nothing like what I was expecting. And so, um, I started and I made another loaf, and 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 it's a process, like you said, it's nothing like any of the bread that I've made before, you, you know, you're stretching it and doing all this stuff every 30, it's, you commit, it's a you commit. <laughs> and so made another one right away, but uh, you've got me hooked. Well, and the reason I bring up the subject of bread is not only because it's fun to talk about bread, mm -hmm. but when you, especially bread, I think it translates to um, whether it's insurance or whatever, whatever it is you want to do in your life. It's so important to look at, okay, what's what does that process look like? The first time I made it, same. It was weird. It was, it was dense. We thought it was amazing to eat because of course I actually made it, yeah. but it was odd. Um, and then the next time I made it, it was a little bit better. And the next time, and then I started realizing, okay, maybe I needed some different tools to help me with the process. Mm -hmm. And then I watched some videos and I, and I kept practicing and practicing. And it, uh, for me, actually it took a, a while to the point where I'm like, yeah, I've got this down now. Um, and don't you think that it's true of every area, like whether you want to be good at building a health plan or you want to be a good runner or whatever it else is, you have to follow that same process. I absolutely agree. Yeah. And talking about tools and, and resources, how you can apply that across all sorts of topics and processes and industries, simply getting the proofing basket and whatever you, you sent me a link, whatever you call it, right. bakes the bread with the lid. Right. 
that made all the difference in the world. And the the razor on a stick that yep. was hugely different for scoring the top than using yep. a sharp knife. And so the loaf that I made this morning, for example, was turned out. Thank you. Turned out completely different than all the others. And I. I would attribute that to having the different tools because my kneading process and all of that, that was consistent. The only variables were the proofing bowl and the different vessel mm -hmm. for cooking and that razor. So, so my advice is. to anyone out there is if you're doing something and not getting the results you want, check your resources. What tools mm -hmm. do you have in place? What equipment are you using? And you know, if it's still, you're still not getting those results, you probably need to look for some additional mentoring or coaching to help that person take to help you get to where you want to be with whatever it is that you're interested in. And, and I just find that so fascinating because I often say the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I think it really shows up in those in those examples. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Are you ready? Think so okay the five burning questions that everyone gets at the end although the first one's kind of easy and if you probably don't get it from her last name but maybe you would get it from her first name Callie is quite Greek mm -hmm. so I'm sure that, that, that this is going to be a Greek answer to my first question which is what is your favorite food in the world and can you cook it this is actually a really hard question for me because my favorites go in phases but since we just had Greek Easter my absolute favorite dish that's served on Greek Easter is pasticcio. And without question, our family makes the best. And it's one dish that I have never even attempted to make on my own. So I, I um, want to get our family together so that we can have a cooking class over here at, at somebody's house and learn how to properly make it because it's a process and it's absolutely delicious. I made it for the first time. I don't know, a few months ago. And uh -huh. it was really, it was really fun because it's very specific on the spices and I had to do a lot of, you know, gathering, but oh, yum, it was delicious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not all that healthy, but, no, um, but I, I, it's who cares? yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Greek Easter. Yeah. All right. So, so tell people what it is so that they, they understand if they're not familiar with it. People call it Greek lasagna. I really yeah. don't care for that description because to me, it's nothing like lasagna other no. than it's stacked noodles, but it's like the long, tube noodles. Yeah. Yeah. They're tube noodles and there's meat and cheesy goodness in it, but not layered like lasagna. Right. And then this lovely topping of cheese and butter and, and it's the, the bechamel sauce. I don't know how yeah. To the bechamel, but it's yeah. this, it's the, I've, in my opinion, I thought it was the spices that made it so insanely sure. delicious um, yeah, and, and so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That just tastes like family home and Greek. Yeah. So the whole combination is just. Yeah. I loved it. Okay. So what's the one character trait you admire most in other people and why? I think honesty. Um, it might sound kind of cliche, but I, I don't believe that everybody needs to agree on everything. I actually think it's incredibly healthy when people don't agree on everything, as long as they're respectful. And no matter what the topic is, if you're honest, you can always respect an honest answer or honesty from somebody. So I would say that that's, uh, that's a big one for me. 
So if I turn the mirror on you, what's the character trait you're most proud of in yourself and why? Um, I would say that I genuinely believe in and think I can see the good in everybody and in every situation. And a lot of actions that people take might be less than desirable or might have some regret or shame associated with it. But I think there's a value that can be gleaned from that. And actions don't necessarily make somebody as a human being bad. I think that there's always going to be glimmer of good in people. And I've just really always, for as long as my memory serves me, been able to identify and see that in people. I love that. So I know you are a, have a wanderlust heart and you love to travel. So what's one place that you would most love to travel that you've not been? Uh, price, time, none of that is a, a factor. You can just magically go someplace that you would love to be. Where would that one place be? Topic list. Blue Lagoon in Iceland. Doesn't that sound amazing? Yes, like, that sounds amazing. Out and just I everything about it, the pictures that I've seen, it looks amazing. And then the uh, Maldives are, I would say, tied with that depending on on the season. Whether I, you want to be water, whether you want to be cold or hot. Yeah, well, I want to see the Northern Lights sitting right outside in a hot spring. That sounds yeah. amazing to me. So yeah. whatever season that is for being able to see the Northern Lights, that's when I want to go to Iceland. And then just the pictures I've seen of the Maldives look yeah. amazing. Well, Iceland, I think, looks amazing. I think it looks very interesting and beautiful. Yeah. Um, hang on a second. We had a little comment here. Uh, honesty. Right on, Kelly. It's all how we grow and learn from each other. Honesty and openness are the key to progress and compromise. And compromise. I love that Me comment. Too. So wonderful. Um, okay. So what's your secret talent or something people would be surprised to learn about you? <laughs> I don't know how much of a talent it is because I'm not really sure that I'm good at it per se, but I enjoy the heck out of it. And that's gardening and specifically the process of starting the seeds. So my mudroom right now is um, a bit overtaken by seedlings and grow lights and heating pads and, and all of that. So this time of year prepping for my vegetable and flower gardens is it's something I really enjoy. I a hundred percent think that's a talent. I do not have a green thumb to save my soul. <laughs> I don't like gardening. I love the results of gardening, uh -huh. but I have zero in, I'm always like, you like that? Like, yeah. Me. But I, I'm, I'm so impressed with anybody that does. I'm like, I wish I had that, but I just one of my so gifts. meditative. Having, there's something about having your hands in the dirt and I always forget to put gloves on. Um, or maybe it's just, you know, subconsciously, I don't want to, because having my fingers in the dirt, I just find it calming. And, you know, I, love I think it. you've been, you've been called out. It says, uh, Bronwyn says gardening. Yes, but your air guitar is amazing. <laughs> so apparently there's another secret talent we now know about. <laughs> She's going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah. It might include my leg. My mom, my mom, that's who's commented. She, um, she was a big gardener. She never wore gloves. And to me, if I get my hands in the dirt, all I think about is they're dirty. Like, yeah, yeah. so every, that's why we, that's what makes the world go round. All right. Very last question. And I, I have a sneaking suspicion. I might know the answer to this one, but who's the one person 
um, that has a podcast, famous author or otherwise that you would most like to sit down with, have mm -hmm. a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, et cetera. Or all of the above and make it a day. Yes. Um, Brene Brown would be, would be the one. Um, and for a multitude of reasons, right? So I'd, I'd love to have wine and coffee with her, but I think it would be fabulous if she joined one of our book club discussions. Mm -hmm. Like how great would that be to have her part of that yeah. dialogue? Um, but then sitting with her and Simon Sinek, for example, I don't know if you've listened to their podcast together, but being part of that discussion or which we've talked about with our book mm -hmm. club chats, having a really deep and honest conversation with Brene and then Tarana Burke yes. uh, would be incredibly impactful and powerful and something I would love to be part of. And of course, uh, Glennon's sister and Abby doing something along with them. But Brene's definitely that common thread across. And I, yeah. you know, just, I think she's great. Her research fascinates me. Well, um, so you just gave me a great idea. I, for, I think I'm out a few months, but anyway, I think we should do a LinkedIn live on our takeaways from doing the study of Atlas of the Heart. Get all of our little book club yeah. together and do that mm -hmm. uh, live, so people can ask questions and you know weigh in on what they thought of it as well. So that That's might be a really idea. fun, really mm -hmm. fun thing. So, yeah. all right, well, um, we set a record, I think, for my longest podcast. So this is <laughs> this was super fun. Um, I just, of course, adore spending time with you, and it was great to do it live as well. So, if anyone has questions about some of the things that Callie is interested in that she's working on, and you would like to connect with her. Um, what is the best way that people can get in touch with you? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn um, and my contact info is all okay. there if you don't have it already. Mm -hmm. And if for any reason you don't have it, please reach out to me and I will put you in contact with her as well. So thank Thanks. you everyone for joining. Thank you, Callie, for your time. And for everyone, I will see you next week. Thanks, Nancy. Thank you.